in the studio today, we're going to be talking about donor advised funds with Eric Anderson with the Minneapolis Foundation. Welcome to the Barry Law Legal Podcast. Barry Rosenzweig has been an attorney for over 25 years and is nationally known as a visionary in his profession. In each episode, attorney Barry Rosenzweig interviews lawyers, real estate agents, lenders, and other professionals that bring popular legal-related topics into focus for his listeners. So get ready for an educational and exciting episode. Now, here's your host, Barry Rosenzweig. Hello, and welcome to the show. Today in the studio, we have Eric Anderson from the Minneapolis Foundation. Hi, Eric. Good morning, Barry. We're going to be talking today about charitable giving and how it can help fund charities and at the same time have some debt tax benefits from it. And I think a lot of people would find a lot of interest out of this because when I first found out about it, I didn't really know it existed. I knew the Minneapolis Foundation existed. I just didn't know how I could be involved with it and how it could actually be a benefit to me and my family. So, Eric, tell me a little bit about yourself and a brief introduction about the Minneapolis Foundation. And Yeah, I've been at the Minneapolis Foundation for, um, I always hesitate to say this, but I've been there for 19 years. It's really such a privilege and a pleasure to do the work that I do because I get to help people be philanthropic. That's, that's just the bottom line. I came to the foundation from the higher education world. I was uh, a college recruiter for my alma mater. Augsburg College, go Augies. And then I went to William Mitchell College of Law to be their alumni director. I was there for about 10 years. And then I did a three-year stint at the Minneapolis College of Art and Design as their alumni director. My primary job at the foundation is to help individuals who have funds with us to put their money out into the community, to help them be philanthropic. That's that's sort of the bottom line. Tell me a little bit how the uh, Minneapolis Foundation began and why it began and when it began. Right. So community foundations are uh, – we're grant-making public charities. So we are a nonprofit. We get our assets from individuals who have left money to us through their estate plan or have established a donor advice fund while they're living. We take those assets, manage them, and then we help individuals to distribute those dollars out into the community. Currently – the foundation has uh, nearly $900 million in assets that we manage. We have about 1,400 charitable funds. The majority of those funds are donor-advised funds, which we'll, we'll touch on here, and then a, a variety of other funds. But essentially, we exist to help individuals distribute philanthropic dollars into the community, and the main vehicle is a donor-advised fund. It's almost a billion dollars. Yes. Of assets. Yeah, we're trying. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, is is that money that comes in there from all over the world, locally? Predominantly, uh, it's local. That's a distinction. Uh, distinction about community foundations is that they are, for the most part, geographically focused. So there is the Minneapolis Foundation. There happens to be the St. Paul, Minnesota's Foundation right across the river. There's the Duluth Community Foundation, a Rochester Community Foundation. So they tend to be geographically focused. And you mentioned you have 1,400 mm-hmm. funds under mm-hmm. management. Those are all under the umbrella within your organization. Correct. Okay. So we'll have a variety of funds. There's actually about nine different fund types. They're all sort of slight variations on a theme. But as I said, the main one is a, is a donor-advised fund. 
when I'm trying to oversimplify the description of a donor advised fund, I, I put it this way. You can have a private family foundation and manage it, invest it, write the checks, all that kind of thing. Or you could have a donor advised fund and we do all that work and you just distribute the money and we help you do that. That's sort of a pretty oversimplified sure. uh, distinction between the two. But the nice thing about a donor advised fund is that because we are a 501c3, a, a nonprofit recognized by the IRS, when an, somebody establishes a fund and then adds to the fund thereafter, that's a charitable gift. So that to the extent that that has a tax implication for the person making that gift, that happens on the front end. When money is distributed from a donor advised fund, that has no tax implications whatsoever. As if you're going to donate directly to any charity, Correct. for example. That's the thing that's nice about that uh, when you have a donor advised fund is that you can gift money on the front end. And technically speaking, you never have to distribute that money. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of press these days about donor advised funds and being inactive and sure. all of that kind of thing. That is not the case with the Minneapolis Foundation. In fact, we have a policy that says um, when a fund has been inactive for a period of three years, then they get a call from me and I say, hey, remember that you have a fund here? And <laughs> essentially, you know, why aren't you doing greater good for the community? Sure. Let's let's get active with this fund. Sure. Uh, that kind of thing. So most of our donor advice funds are are, are very active and, and distributing into the community. But what some people do find then advantageous once they've established a donor advice fund is that as it relates to tax strategies, they may come to the end of the year and it's like, oh, geez, I need to give away 5000 50000 a million, I, you know, whatever it is. Sure. They can write one check and they've met their charitable deduction. Right. Uh, and then they can distribute it thereafter. And I think that sort of one check and you get the tax advantage is a, is a real plus. Without making a rash decision, trying right. to find out who needs it, who wants it, without thinking about it all year and just looking, hey, I got to get this money out because I get the tax deduction. But at the same time, somebody gets the charitable benefit. But I don't have to make that immediate decision. That's right. Because we'll get, we'll get calls at the end of the year and, and people will say – I mean – Another advantage with a donor advised fund is, of course, everything is online and you can interface on our, our, our donor portal. But oftentimes people call me and say, you know, what, who did I give to last year mm -hmm. or what amount or, mm -hmm. you know, those, those kinds of questions. And so, yeah, at year end, people are like going, gosh, who did I give to and how right. much and where's that slip? And then you've got to collect all of those receipts from the nonprofits and it's, ugh, you know, it's yeah. – it's, um, you know, it's just, it can be a lot of work. Sure. The other thing, too, that we do in working with donor advisors is to suggest to them, you know, in that making distributions from your fund has no tax implications whatsoever. You know, sit down in February while you're on winter vacation and do your annual grant making. Yeah. Or do it in July or do it, you know. Uh, you don't have to have that be part of the year-end rush right. because you can do it at any, any time. time. Right. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Um, and again, like you said, there's no – once it's in the fund, mm -hmm. any distributions, there are no tax implications because you've already received that benefit, so to speak. That's right. And then it doesn't like flip back and say now that you're taking it out of there, all of a sudden it's taxable. Mm -mm. Right. We often share the story of a woman called Emma Howe, Emma B. Howe. 
She was a uh, kind of an office administrator, all-purpose staff member of this fledgling company that became um, Deluxe uh, Printing. And so as the company was growing, they couldn't necessarily compensate her. So they gave her a little stock here and a little stock there. And she put a little money away here. And she never married. She never had any heirs. And when she passed away... um, she had left the foundation, I think it was like $20, 25000000 million. So it was sort of the, you know, the millionaire next door kind yeah. of story. And that money then has grown and given uh, and will continue to grow and give forever. So it's great. Um, these there's days, a, yeah. There's a lesson to be learned that's a little separate from the right. donation is manage your money well. Yeah, exactly. you, No matter how much you make, yeah. how much money you have, manage your money well. And Don't discount stock in a fledgling company. You right. never know. You know it might right. be Apple. Some folks were like, yes, I want my money to grow and give forever. Some are like, I want whatever's left to be distributed over 10 years. Some, I want it to split into new funds between my kids or my nieces and nephews or whomever. Or there's just, it can do a lot of different things to honor the legacy that you as an individual want to leave behind. Donor advice funds, is there a minimum to open it? Yeah, so it's $10,000 to establish a donor advice fund. We charge an administrative fee on a fund. So the the administrative fee is 1% of the fund's three-year fund balance average Okay. to sort of address you know the ebbs and flows of a market or a minimum of $750 annually. The people who donate the money into their fund... Do they determine what type of risks are taken on those investments, or are they pretty much set by the foundation? So we have five different investment strategies that you, as a donor advisor, uh, a donor advisor can choose from. The one that's uh, the most aggressive, and that's not even the right word to use, the one that probably has the greatest equity exposure is called the Long-Term Growth Fund. We have a Social Impact Fund a balance fund, a money market fund, you can leave it in cash. But it's your decision. Wherever you decide to place your dollars, that goes to a certain set of managers that we engage. So that nearly $900 million that we have in assets is um, managed by 55-some different financial advisors. The investment strategies and the advisors behind those strategies are determined by the investment committee of the board of trustees. The investment committee is made up of current trustees as well as practitioners in the community. It's uh, folks that have a pretty high profile, a pretty high success rate. There's a lot of debate that goes on at the investment committee meetings about what percentage should be where and those, those kinds of things. So it's a pretty robust oversight of our investment strategies. Mm-hmm. And then, like I said, we we distribute those dollars then between uh, 55 different fund uh, managers. And then we have one full-time person on staff whose job is to watch the work of those 55 sure. Uh, sure, managers. Sure. So there's a lot of checks and balances in place. You're an organization that's well-known, well-trusted, and it just takes things off the table and for people to deal with, mm-hmm. except decide where they want the money to go. Well, and then it, you get into all of the different programs, the services, the value add that we offer to donor advised fund holders. And, you know, that's a really extensive list. I mean, so as, you know, you can, you know, if you have young people in your life that you want to involve in helping them to be philanthropic or pass your legacy on through them, we have the Family Philanthropy Resource Center, 
that offers a whole variety of programs and services targeted specifically to helping mom and dad engage the next generation of kids in their philanthropy and all for the greater good and let's pay it forward. That work that the Family Philanthropy Resource Center does is, you know, sort of highly personal, highly customized, if you will. But it's just one more uh, service that you get having a donor advised fund. And that, the, that's foundation. like advising yeah. on future, yeah. how, it, how it stays intact with other family members and so uh, um, Yes, yeah, some of that. It's more like I work with, a, for instance, here, here's an example. I work with a, a mom and dad who have a fund and they want their kids to understand that they have a role uh, to pay it forward. It's a it's a large fund, and and so each of the four kids gets an, um, an amount that they can distribute annually. They have to send an email to mom and dad that says, I want X to go to Y for these reasons, and then dad forwards the email to me and says, make these grants and the kids' names. So that's, that's one way that it okay. happens. Another way is mom and dad are the current advisors to the fund. But they'll involve their kids and they'll do family grant making. So we'll actually arrange for the family to go on site visits to help them, you know, sort of review proposals if they ask for that. Like we can get quite involved in the grant making process. That's another option. There's all kinds of really neat uh, options mm -hmm. available to individuals or families. I mean, I, I work with an individual who has no um, – you know, no kids or, or, or no uh, frontline heirs, if you will. But very good friends with this couple who are super involved in the community, super philanthropic of time, more time than resources, if you will. And so he does some of his – he directs some of his grant making or he has them direct some of his grant making. So he can help add value to the work that they're doing. That's another way to come at it. So there's there's just all different kinds of scenarios. Let me touch on dealing with smaller estates and smaller donations. Yeah. You know, like you mentioned, the ten thousand dollar minimum. Right. Okay, right. and that can come from individually. That can come from a tax deduction. It really doesn't matter in that respect, correct? Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. you may not get a tax benefit if you don right. donate directly, but so what? What happens when you have you know? And, and I run across this a lot. I have. A, an older couple or a widow or widower, and they have a lot of money. They have no reason to do any intense estate planning. They just want to do a will, and they just want the money. They have no living relatives. It's yep. going to nobody if if they, you know if they pass away. And they a lot of times just top of their head say, "Oh, I want to give it to this church I grew up with, or I want to give it to this to the Humane Society." You know, a lot of the ones that really are. They're very good at promoting mm -hmm. the the mm -hmm. fact that mm -hmm. they, you know, they're just very good marketers. Yeah. Okay. Are you able, or is somebody with an organization able to present the benefits of how this works? Definitely, yes. Okay. We do a lot of work reaching out to the professional advisor community. I sort of find it surprising the number of people in the professional advisor community. You know, financial advisors, tax accountants, estate planners who really don't even know about donor advised funds. Right. Uh, you know, it's I'm I'm always sort of surprised and and when generally speaking once somebody hears about a community foundation, a donor advised fund, legacy planning, they're like, "Great, I'm in. I'm good to go." <laughs> That's how you know? I that was me. Yeah. <laughs> so usually like in the scenario you're you're saying, um, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, they're going to pass away and there's going to be 10 million dollars. I would hope you would 
know about donor advised funds as an option. (laughs) And then we would meet with them and say, what does legacy look like to you? What issue areas are important to you? And then we can suggest a, a, a number of scenarios to help them leave their legacy. Is somebody allowed to, again, this is somebody who has no heirs, decide I want this to go into a donor advised fund. Again, now that's not something that would be directed, either restrictive or expansive. It's just in there, right? Mm-hmm. To designate somebody else sure. in the community to be the decision maker on where that goes and yep. to distribute. Okay. You can name anybody as a, as a successor advisor to your fund. Okay. can okay. be the neighbor. can be your faith leader. Okay. can be the clerk at the grocery store. Okay. It just, you know, it just doesn't Somebody it doesn't you trust and, right. would, and would say, you know, here's here's sort of my feelings yep. and, you know, I trust you two to do it, but, you know, hopefully you'll make the right decision. Yeah. That's where you just get into, you know, the the thing that, that we pride ourselves on at the Minneapolis Foundation is, is just that we've built these really trusted relationships with individuals. So we get to know them quite well. I mean, I've, you know, I've worked with a thousand people over the last 19 years and we just have really trusted relationships. And so, They'll say, well, this is what I'm thinking, and then I can say, well, what is it you're wanting to accomplish? And you sort of figure all of that out. A community foundation is for everybody, and I think that's the thing we're trying to to put out there a little bit more, you know, that we sit in a really unique position as a community foundation. So we understand the interests of our donor advisors. We understand the benefits of facilitating good philanthropy. We are on the ground, grassroots, really um, connected with nonprofits doing work. And so we just have this, you know, really unique role to kind of be a connector between all of those, uh, all of those entities and, and be really transparent about how, how great philanthropy is mm-hmm. and then how challenging it is. Well, can, yeah. let me just interrupt yeah. you there. Can organizations looking for a grant contact the funds directly? Sure. What I say to a nonprofit is it's about you contacting individuals who may or may not be interested in supporting your work. If you find that they are interested, whether they give to you through their checkbook or through their donor advised fund is kind of a moot point. So we, I think sometimes nonprofits have this idea that, you know, we are the gatekeeper of all the donor advisor money. No, I understand. Yes, you know, yes. well, they, they, they think that. And, yeah, you know, yeah, we, yeah. Like everything has to yeah, go through you guys. No, yeah, they can no, go to them directly. Whenever. Not in the least. Yeah. I mean, it will happen. That's that's part of the thing. You know, we're we're you know we're a trusted partner with with our donor advisors. So, it may be that they're interested in. Geez, you know, I'm reading about youth homelessness, and like, I, I just I want to do something. Who who's doing what? Then I will reach out to a sure. you know to nonprofits and 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 that kind of thing. I mean, I I often describe it that I don't know two cents about anything because of this work, but I'm a solid penny. Yeah. And that penny is like, I know who to call. So can people, organizations, Mm -hmm. prepare a grant proposal as a general grant proposal and then find out who might be interested? Or does it have to go directly to, like, the actual advisors of their own fund? As it relates to grant proposals, I mean, you you would only submit a proposal to the Minneapolis Foundation to receive – um, competitive grant dollars, okay. that kind of six, seven million. Sure. You would never submit a proposal that we would put in front of a donor advisor. Okay. If somebody's looking to, to go through the um, general competitive process, competitive, yeah, process mm-hmm. are they able to contact you and say, is my proposal even worth putting together for what I'm looking for? Yes. 
Yeah. Okay. So we have the community impact department and we have um, community impact uh, uh, directors of impact strategies. Our three competitive areas right now are education, economic vitality, and civic engagement. So there's pretty specific guidelines around what we're looking for, the kind of impact we're trying to have, you know, that kind of thing. So, and all that information's on the website. Okay. And we have community events where nonprofits can come and hear what we're looking for and they'll apply. I mean, as you can imagine, I mean, in a competitive grant run, we'll get multi-million dollars of requests sure. for like a million dollars. I mean, there's just way more right, requests, right, way more need than than dollars. So it's that's sort of the unfortunate um, challenge around sure, philanthropy sure. is it's just kind of an imperfect process. I used to be a director of impact uh, for a time period and would do competitive grant review. And then people would call and say, why did we not get it? And I'm like... <laughs> you know, we're splitting hairs on hairs yeah. kind of thing. Uh, that's just a little bit the nature of the business. Just as we finish up, is there anything else you want to add? I think it's just community foundations are really uh, uh, a very special kind of entity. I think uh, I would want people to know it's accessible to everybody. Some people also have this idea of like, well, I, I, I will get this one often where a donor advisor will say to me, you know, I'm, it's just a thousand dollar grant. I mean, that, that makes no, <laughs> that makes no difference at all. Yeah. I'm much more global about it or universal, I guess, because I just, you know, whether it's a thousand or a hundred thousand or a million, mm -hmm. you know, it's money out into the community. And right. so the, the example I like to use to exaggerate the point is if, you know, if I were to say to you, Look, if I give you $1,000 right now, will that have any kind of impact for you? <laughs> sure. Right, right. <laughs> End of conversation. Yeah. You know, so course. there's no such thing as a grant that's too small. Well, well nonprofits yeah. that need the money. Oh, my gosh. That, they, Huge. They're never not in need of money. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And some of them and, – and then that's where you get into – we do all that kind of work too with donor advisors where they're like – they'll say, well, should I make a big – should I make one $10,000 grant or, you know, several grants totaling 10. Should I do gen op grants or should I do program grants? Should it be multi-year? You know, there's just all these variables that uh, that we get into and, and there's and, no right answer. And it can be as simple as saying, you know, so, you know, I want to give to this organization, just make a distribution to them. And right. That's it. That's right. I mean, I have a donor advisor I work with. Um, they make probably, God, I think it's like 100 grants. Of like two fifty, five hundred, and a thousand dollars, targeting small to mid-sized arts organizations. That's nice. That's what they do. That's, That's great. That's their thing because those people would have no other That's right. resources to get that kind right. of thing. I mean, I remember when I was on a board of a nonprofit that was just starting, and and thirty years later still exists. And we actually had somebody from a foundation come and visit, and uh, we we sold. You know, look, here's the mission. Here's what we're doing. Here's where we're heading. This is why we're unique from everybody else. And the foundation representative left and actually called them the next day and said, you know, it was a great visit, you know, really good work. And, uh, you know, we're going to we're going to grant you ten thousand dollars. Sure. I mean, at that time, that was the equivalent of like a hundred million trillion dollars to us. <laughs> you know, it was just so yeah, exciting. Sure. And I always like to use that example too, where it's like you just don't know when that thousand, what that thousand may or may not do, or that ten, or you know, that kind of thing. Right. 
Okay. Well, you know, if somebody wants to explore the idea of opening a, a donor advice fund, mm-hmm. would it be best to contact you directly? Yeah, I'd love it. Okay. Uh, or any one of my colleagues. I mean, it's usually um, – it is worthwhile, I think, to go to our website okay. and, and sort of start there to just sort of get the lay of the land. But sure. I am one of uh, – how many of us? Five, five or six of us that, that do this work. Okay. Um, I think uh, I win because I have the longest tenure and, and probably am and, uh, a generalist more than more than not. But, yeah, any anybody that calls the front desks and says, hey, I'm interested in – Establishing a donor advice fund, they get directly to a to a person, and you know that's another part of it too, right? Is that when you when you call, every donor advised fund holder has a staff person assigned to them, mm-hmm. right? And so they, you know, they call up and they're like, "Hey, Eric, I just you know made a grant online and it clicked in three times, and I only want <laughs> one grant, yeah. or you know, can you fix that? Yes, or yeah. you know, it's just all that kind of stuff." So we are. You know, we're their, their contact person. Well, I notice it's been very helpful for me working with you because when I want to make a, a grant, I just either email you or call yep. you and tell you where I want to go and yeah. give you the address and information, and then it's taken care of. It's done. Yeah. I mean, a lot of our donor advisors are all about the online portal. You know, everything you can do everything online sure. and never talk to anybody at the foundation ever. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's <laughs> good. Know, that's I mean, it, it, it happens. On the other hand, yeah, some folks are like, yes, I know I can do that, but you're on my speed dial. Yeah. Well, now that I know so. that, I'll be using the website. <laughs> no, call me so we can catch up. <laughs> um, yeah, that sounds great. Um, I will just say one one more time that I, I'm a customer. Okay. I have a satisfied donor. customer. Yes, of course. I, uh, I have a donor advice fund. I think it's great. I mean, in the fact that you know whether it was tax deductible or not. It's a nice thing to have mm-hmm. to be able to make those grants year after year after year after year um, and decide at that time who should get it versus it being yep. one time, one off donation. Yep. And, you know, maybe you can't ever make one again that way because mm-hmm. or, or it's just not something you can do or want to do. So um, that's what I really like about it. Yeah. Controlled like the, flexibility. And I think people <laughs> are very enlightened by what you talked about on it's not just for millionaires, multimillionaires. Yep. It's certainly set up for, you know, anybody who wants to be able to qualify and plenty of people will qualify That's for right. this. It's all about the greater good for the community. And also the fact that people who have no heirs mm-hmm. and are just pulling charities out of the yep. air to leave it to yep. really makes sense to great set that up as well. And they feel good about knowing that somebody is going to be taking care of that for them. That's right. Okay. Yep. Well, I think that's it. I really appreciate you coming in, Eric. And, um, you know, we'll be in touch. My pleasure. Professionally. and Thanks for having and me. <laughs> individually. And um, thank you. Thank you. This has been the Barry Law Legal Podcast. Tune in again as Barry interviews lawyers, real estate agents, lenders, and other professionals that bring popular legal-related topics into focus for his listeners. Barry Rosenzweig can be reached at 952-920-1001 in Minnesota and 480-227-2203 in Arizona. He can also be reached by email at barry at barrylaw.com or online at www.barrylaw.com.